Hey guys, welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I'm Bill Barnwell. Today joining me, our friend Marcel Louis-Jacques of ESPN, talking all about what went down in Miami with the firing of Brian Flores. What's next for the Dolphins? And which job is most desirable for the head coaching candidates out there? But first, I want to tell you guys about another podcast that gets into stuff. And that is the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny. Yes, the podcast hosted by ESPN's Mina Kimes that brings you the latest news and trends in and around the NFL. Join Mina and her guests, including NFL analyst Dominique Foxworth, insider and fantasy football host Field Yates, ESPN Radio's Mike Golick Jr., and yes, even sometimes your friend Bill Barnwell. So if you like X's and O's, analytics, and probably too much dog talk, yes, of course, Lenny is a dog, but give the Mina Kai Show featuring Lenny a listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's listen to Marcel Louis-Jacques talk all about the situation in Miami. All right, joining me now here on the Bill Barnwell Show, as promised, a regular contributor to this show in multiple stops. Last time we had him on the podcast, we were talking about, I think at the time, the one in six Miami Dolphins in the middle of a disastrous season. They dropped to one in seven. We were speculating that Brian Flores might have to have a great second half to keep his job. And Marcel, Brian Flores did have a great second half. They went, I believe, eight and one after that Bills game, that, that, that Bills game in week eight. And Brian Flores does not have a job as we had this conversation. So Marcel, first off, thanks for coming. Thanks for copying on the show. And second, I guess this, the quickest place to start is just how surprised were you when you heard the news that Brian, oh, sorry, that Brian Flores, I should say, was out in Miami? Yeah, well, first of all, and um, I am honored to be called a regular guest <laughs> on the pod. Uh, it's, it's always fun. You know, I always get a bunch of people that text me afterwards, man, just heard you on Barnwell. It's really <laughs> cool, to, uh, it's cool to be a part of that. Um, second of all, man, uh, very, you know, very surprised. Um, I, I actually watched the the title game with a couple of other reporters down here the other night, and we were all surprised. But but I will say, here's the difference, though. And and then you know, I don't like drawing or you know feeding into the national versus local debate. But here's the the difference locally that I've noticed. We are surprised at it, but. I, I think all of us could be talked into the move. You know what I mean? Like we could all listen to an argument for the move and say, okay, yeah. You know what I mean? Like not, maybe not like, okay, that's what I would done. Or that's what I would have done. That's what I would choose to do with my NFL team. But, you know, there's an argument there that makes me say, yeah, okay. I, I see why you did it. What I can't fathom is keeping Chris Greer and firing Brian Flores. Either you keep both or you let both go. But I, I just don't, I don't think I can definitively say that Chris Greer did his job better than Brian Flores did his job. So uh, I think uh, Benjamin Solik had a had an excellent article about it the other day, talking about playing and losing the game, capitalized. And, you know, Flores didn't necessarily lose the game on the field, but he, he did get diced up a bit off of it. It certainly seems like it. Um, you know, it, it felt like, you know, it, it, it felt to me like 
there was definitely some frustration about what happened this year. But I, I was surprised to see that placed solely, like you said, on Brian Flores's feet. I mean, yes, you could say the defensive pieces the Dolphins have added over the past couple of years have not worked out all that great. Cal Van Noy lasted one season, left quickly, went back to New England. Um, Byron Jones didn't have a great season. Um, you know, th- those will be two biggest free agent additions from that class of 2020 where they spent so much money. Shaq Lawson only lasted one year and then was moved on. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you know, you watch this team closely every single week. I mean, do you feel like the defense is what's wrong with the Dolphins right now? Or is it, you know, do both sides deserve blame here when it comes to this sort of disappointing season? Like, how, how much of this do you think is on Flores' performance as a head coach and as a sort of defensive guru for the Dolphins? See, this is, that's kind of tricky because I think that the knee-jerk reaction that Dolphins fans and people who watch the Dolphins are going to say is it's the offense's fault. They, they got nothing from this offense throughout the year. I think they only ranked better than 21st in the NFL in two major offensive categories. It was passing yards per game, where they were 17th, and third down conversion percentage, where I think they were 13th. Everything else is bottom quarter of the league. This offense was bad, you know, below average at best, bad at worst. And there's not really a lot of other ways to, to spice it. But at the same time, we knew that, you know, we knew that yeah. going into the season. So if you take their splits from week one through eight and juxtapose them with the splits from uh, week nine through 18, when they went eight and one, their offense got marginally better, marginally better. I'm, I'm talking you know, 85 rushing yards a game to 92 rushing yards a game. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like that was there was some revival. It was the defense suddenly started playing like we expected them to play in the first half of the season. So, yeah, the knee-jerk reaction is saying, yeah, it, it's the offense's fault. They didn't do anything on that side of ball all year. But that's always who they were going to be. This was always going to be a defense-first team. And that defense was one of the worst in the NFL in terms of I think they literally were the worst in the NFL weeks one through eight in points allowed per game and in yards allowed per game. So really the defense put them in that hole, man. They, they put them in that one in seven hole. They also brought them out of it. But uh, so, like I said, it's kind of a tricky, it's, it's a tricky blame to place there, but I, I do think, think that they share the blame a little more equally than, you know, people might be giving them credit for. Mm -hmm. I mean, it certainly feels that way. You know, it wasn't like the defense was the unit we saw last year where they were just really dominant for long stretches. That team was sixth in the NFL in in points allowed per game. This year's Dolphins team 16th in points allowed per game. 22nd, of course, in offense. The offense still, I think, you know, I I would agree that it's definitely a significant part of the problem, but defense not totally... Um, faultless, certainly, when it comes to how they played in 2021. Um, when it comes to the, the sort of the reasoning why you think the Dolphins chose Flores over Chris, or sorry, chose Greer over Flores, I should say, um, how much of it do you think is Chris Greer having been a part of this organization for so long? Like, is there a familiarity element to it that you think led the Dolphins and, and led Stephen Ross to go with his general manager over his head coach if there was? Uh, a disagreement and, and a, a breakdown in their working relationship? 
Yeah, man, he is a he's a survivor. That that is the <laughs> best way to describe Chris Greer. He's like, and I'm I'm sorry if I spoil the series here, but like guys, it's been a long time. You should have been caught up. Like, and now he's like Littlefinger, you know, minus the uh, his his season eight comeuppance has not yet arrived. But he's like Littlefinger, where you're like, wow, how does this guy keep? How does he keep, you know, surviving? How does he keep being around? He just knows how to, he's a people pleaser. That might be his, his best and worst trait. But, uh, you know, that, that's really why. Uh, and when you, when you look at Flores or why they let Flores go, hearing from Stephen Ross yesterday, man, he didn't let a single football reason in his Zoom call yesterday. I, I, I asked him verbatim. I said, look, you, you've spoken a lot about the talent on this roster. What more do you think that this team could have accomplished as currently constructed? And he went right into collaboration and communication. That, so that just tells you everything that you need to know there, that this wasn't really a football move per se. Or, you know, it, not that he's necessarily happy with the product on the field, but that wasn't the deciding factor, the deciding factor was an inability to work together in harmony off the field. And uh, I think that's where that was the indictment against Brian Flores. And then what, what people aren't, aren't really talking about and I think needs to be more prevalent in the why did they fire Flores conversation, uh, you know, he had his faults, man, but building continuity was maybe the most prevalent one. Uh, there's no way, shape, or form that this offensive staff could be carried into the 2022 season. There's just, they just didn't show enough, man. Like you have to, you have to introduce a new offense. You've got to hire new coordinators, maybe new position coaches. I'm not really sure. I don't want to go that deep, but if you hire a new offensive coordinator, then we're talking about five offensive coordinators in four years, including this weird co-offensive coordinator phase that, Somehow didn't work. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> this year, this year, like go figure, man. Something that no other team does in the NFL that didn't work. But uh, so you're, you're talking about five offensive coordinators in four years. You got to hire a new old line coach. I know I said I don't want to talk about position coaches, but worst unit in the NFL. You got to hire a new old line coach. That's again five offensive line coaches in four years. One of whom was fired just days into training camp. You know, that, that the only side of the ball that really is being treated with with a lot of continuity is, is defense, where Josh Boyer was the only returning coordinator this season. So, like, I don't know if he has the pull. I don't know if he has the allure of the job has the allure to hire a good offensive coach anymore. Like, I, I, I think that rather than put up with another mediocre hire, they just said, let's wipe the board clean. And it's harsh. It's a harsh reality. But again, you can't just have five offensive coordinators in four seasons, man. Like that's not helping anybody out. Not when they're not being hired away, you know, when they're being fired and retiring. That's that's not a good sign. Right. You know, I think if it was just a you're a factory for opposing teams like the Sean McVay situation in Los Angeles, that's one thing. But absolutely. I mean, it felt like, you know, they were constantly searching for an answer on offense over these last few years. And, and Ryan Fitzpatrick gave them a bit of an answer in 2020. Um, we saw stretches where Tua looked pretty good in 2021, but even then it was such a limited offense 
and and so dependent on the brilliance of, of Jalen Waddle to make stuff happen. And I know that we can talk about the line and the line is a mess. And I think, I think it's one of those rare situations in the NFL where like everyone agrees something is awful. Like there's, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe you've seen it in your mentions. There's nobody I've, I've seen defending how bad this offensive line is. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8-Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, but I, I guess what I want to ask you is we, you talked about sort of knowing, sort of recognizing, okay, this is what the situation is when it came to the offense. I, I'm reading a tweet here from our colleague, Seth Wickersham, who's talking about, uh, Brian Flores running a new England program in Miami and saying Brian Flores is his own man. He's not just, you know, Bill Belichick light, but that Brian Flores was running, it, you know, was coming from the Patriots, coming from a long time spent with Bill Belichick, where I haven't been in that building on a regular basis, but I think it, it's safe to say Bill Belichick is, can be gruff. He can struggle to communicate at times. He's not exactly the, you know, the most, you know, modern, uh, softest touched coach in the NFL. Granted, he's been winning a lot, but I guess I wonder when it comes to Brian Flores and and the critiques that are happening here about his personality or the way he was interacting with people or his communication. Like, do you think the Dolphins signed up for something different than this? Because it feels like, you know, if they wanted a guy from the Patriots where this is how things are conducted, where there is that sort of, you know, the buck stops here, it seems weird that they would be upset about it now after three seasons. Yeah, I mean, that's just, it would be negligent on on their part if they hired brian flores and expected his personality to be different than what it actually was like so i i think they knew like you know you know who brian flores is and like i i did a story on his relationship with his uncle and even his uncle said since he was a kid he's been he's always been a very serious person you know what i mean it's not like he just became a brand new guy when he got his first head coaching whistle so that that's you're right. It is their fault if they expected everything different. Where I think the, uh, you know, the the strain was on this relationship between Flores and the front office. Uh, it, it just shows you how impactful your quarterback decision is when you draft a quarterback, when you anoint a guy, you know, your franchise guy, your franchise hopeful. You get that right. Everything else is is hunky dory, 
They got Tom Brady. I don't care how mean Bill Belichick yep. is, man. You got Tom Brady for 20 years. You're going to mm-hmm. be all right. When you've got Tua, especially if you've got a head coach who didn't necessarily want Tua and doesn't necessarily have the background of developing quarterbacks, then there's a little bit of a disconnect. When the next guy taken is already a bona fide superstar, then there's going to be a little bit of disconnect. And then finally, when you are the one who has to answer the questions, you are the one who has to answer the trade rumors, the why didn't you draft, the is there any regrets, and not the guy who actually made the decision, then yeah, there, there's going to be a little bit of bitterness. And I, I think that is what, I think that's that's ultimately what we what we saw here is, you know, maybe, and I'm not saying this is, this is bona fide the reason why, but Maybe if Chris Greer was a little more available or available a little more frequently to take the heat on some of these roster personnel questions, then maybe there would be a little less of a disconnect. But, you know, that's again, that is just my humble opinion there. But I know if I wanted player Y and the guy in charge picks player X and then won't answer about why they picked player X. And we'll answer about why there's trade rumors surrounding player Y. I would be a little annoyed too. We're only yeah, human. Of course. I, I, I don't like it when people criticize me on Twitter for stuff I actually said, let alone stuff that I didn't do. <laughs> like I'd be, yeah, exactly. I'd be feeling that. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it, it feels like, it, it feels like, you know, there are legitimate criticisms of Brian Flores, but I guess I wonder, and this is maybe an impossible question to answer, but I'm going to ask you to answer it anyway. Like with the Dolphin situation, let's say they were at the same record, they were nine and eight. Let's say they had the same point differential, but let's say the problem with this team was the defense and, and the defense was a big problem. And let's say this was maybe a team like, the 2018 or 2019 Texans, where it was Deshaun Watson playing at a high level and the other people around him were not playing at a high level. Maybe get some help. Maybe Dylan Waddle is the DeAndre Hopkins in this scenario, but the defense is not playing at a high level. Do you think the satisfaction around having picked the right quarterback would have been enough for Brian Flores to keep his job in this situation? Like, do you think, or do you think that it's just this general malaise over having not maximize this window with all these draft picks and all these high choices has led to this frustration. Um, if they made the playoffs, then maybe if, mm-hmm. if they didn't, then you're like, then you're stuck in the, okay, we've got a bright spot here, but the thing that this coach was brought in to do, he's not doing it. Especially after showing that it was possible in the year before and bringing around a lot of the same, like the same nucleus, the same core of players. I think it would be, I think it would be considered a problem. Um, but I mean, I, there's also, unless Stephen Ross was lying to us, which, you know, people, team owners and GMs and coaches never do. So <laughs> that's, we'll, sure. we'll leave it at that. Unless he was lying to us, he believes wholeheartedly in the young talent on this roster. And there is, there is young talent on the roster, man. Like you said, we've said, we've talked about Dylan model a lot. Uh, I think he is a, he's a future stud. Uh, Javon Holland is a star right now at safety, the second round pick. Jalen Phillips just set the rookie record for for sacks in a single season. Uh, you know he's a he's looking like a, a dynamite player as well. Greer really nailed 
his, his first few picks of this draft. Jury's out on Liam Eikenberg. I, I, I kind of refuse to believe that a, a lineman who so many people believed was, was one of the top guys in the draft is actually not good. Uh, I, I think he just needs to be coached up a little more, maybe focus on one position. But uh, he and Greer's just he's done a good job of, of adding guys like Brandon Jones and Raekwon Davis and Christian Wilkins and so on and so forth. But he blew the biggest draft of his career is, is the problem. Like he, he, he blew that first round in 2020. Uh, even if Tua ends up being uh, a reasonable starter, a good starter, you still missed on Austin Jackson. You missed badly on Noah Igbenogamy. And that, that first round was what you were basing this entire rebuild off of. You know what I'm saying? So like it, it's, it, it just kind of, I know I'm getting a little off track here. It's just kind of, it, it's kind of wild to me that Greer gets away scot-free you know, he's been he's a better drafter than he gets credit for, but he still made I mean, that was still an egregious whiff in, in 2020. And I, I just don't know how you you see that and you say, OK, you can you can turn this thing around moving forward. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. man. I, I agree. I mean, I, I think it's totally fair to say that, like that he deserves criticism for those messes. Like it, it, it's we're always really. I'm not we, but like fans are always very aggressive when it comes to, okay, you missed this pick. We got to fire this dude. We got to rebuild the entire regime. But, you know, if you're going to fire somebody and you're going to blame someone for uh, the frustrating last couple of years or or the frustrations of of the 2020 draft not working out, it would seem like Chris Greer would be um, the person who you at least put, put the first amount of blame on. Now, you mentioned him getting off scot-free, and that's what I want to ask you about as we transition to talking about maybe who might be taking this job to replace Brian Flores. Is, is Do you think that if Stephen Ross had his druthers and got to hire the person he wanted to hire, do you think he would be hiring someone as strictly a head coach and Chris Greer would still be staying in the role he was in previously? Do you think that, that Stephen Ross would prefer to hire someone who will kind of take over and, and be that person who can handle both those jobs and be the guy who, you know, like, like said, said about Brian Flores, maybe the role he should have had where you have a guy who was not only coaching, but also in control of football operations. Yeah. You know, I, I was just thinking about that last night was, okay, let's pretend, uh, you know, let's, let's say that this coach doesn't work out or even, or, or even the other way around. Let's say Greer continues to, you know, not continues to, but let's say Greer blows these next couple drafts and Miami doesn't have the talent to really sustain any level of success. If you're Steven Ross, are you fracturing another GM head coach relationship, you know, business working relationship? If one has to go, like, are you really going to start over again in the future? Like you're going to hire, you're going to fire Chris Greer and then put a head coach on a GM who didn't, bring him in or are you going to say okay is there a world where okay this coach didn't work out but we still believe in Greer moving forward let's bring let's do the cycle again it, it just I don't I think that Ross is really really heavily banking on this next head coach working out with Chris Greer and I, I think he's really putting all the cards in there because you can't you just can't keep doing this like I and after a while you have to kind of you've got to find the common denominator here right 
And like, if if you guys haven't made the playoffs since 2016, and there's one guy who has been here since 2016, you know, like math was never my strong suit. But come on, it seems pretty straightforward to me. I yeah, I mean, you know, I I don't think it's as simple as saying, oh, firing Chris Greer is going to solve the Dolphins' problems because I don't think, you know, we necessarily know that's the case. But I do think there are the questions of okay you know, what sort of person do you want to target? Like, are you going to target someone who you think is a very good communicator? Or are you going to target someone who is going to absorb that power? Are you going to target someone who, you know, has experience? And I think we've heard the reports today, I believe, was that Stephen Ross is looking for, looking for possible coaches who have a track record of NFL success. Now, the first guy who I think came to mind for a lot of people myself included when he came to this job as Jim Harbaugh, who Stephen Ross tried to hire in years past before he went to Michigan. Now, Stephen Ross is a big Michigan donor. I think one of the reasons Jim Harbaugh is there is because Stephen Ross made that deal happen. But Marcel, I know the Dolphins have denied that Jim Harbaugh is going to be in the running for that head coaching position. You also told us that owners and general managers do not lie. So maybe Let's let's pretend that that they made a mistake and maybe fit. Maybe they thought we were talking about John Harbaugh and not Jim Harbaugh. Is there any chance that you think Jim Harbaugh is involved in this discussion? And if he's not, who do you think they're focused on here? You know, common mistake, uh, Jim and John. It's just <laughs> very, very similar. Easy, very easy to. Con- it took me years to figure out which one is which. Um, I think that that's a very hard one to walk back. If you're Stephen Ross, not that he necessarily cares, you know, but uh, at least not in my opinion, I don't think he cares if he has to walk it back, but it, it is, he took a very strong, a stronger than necessary stance against hiring Jim Harbaugh, if that's truly your intention all along. Um, I think though that bringing Jim Harbaugh in kind of ties in with that scenario you were just, you know, we were just discussing uh, a few minutes ago in that you're bringing, I don't think you bring Jim Harbaugh in and don't give him some sort of personnel control. You know, he's one of those big name college coaches. You don't bring big name college coaches with cushy salaries and, and guarantees to the NFL without sweetening the pot a little bit. And you sweeten the pot, you know, by giving them personnel control and that would undermine Greer. And then that has mess written all over it once again. So I, I, that would be, it, it would heavily change and alter the dynamics in this building if they, if they do that. Um, but I, I, I'm going to take him at his word here and say no to Jim Harbaugh because I, I, I think that offense is once again the priority. Uh, when, you look at the, when you look at how this league is set up, if you can't score points, if you can't run it up with the – the Packers and the Chiefs and the Bills of the world, you know, good defense is only going to get you so far. Um, I, I think uh, you know, sport betting online or EG, whatever that, the, the emails, all my, my beat writers know what I'm talking about. The, email, <laughs> <laughs> the, the weekly odds that you get four times a day listed Brian Dable as the favorite to land the Dolphins head coaching job. Uh, they just requested, Adam Schefter reported, they requested to interview him on Tuesday. Not sure when that interview is going to be, but the request came through. Um, 
they also names escaping me right now. I know you're better than me at this. They requested the 49ers offensive coordinator as well. Like I think that there's a clear focal point as to what needs to improve this offseason. They've got $80 million to spend. They have it ranked in the top 10 in total yardage since 1995. Uh, you know, I, I assume I could speak and count at that time, but I, I don't know. I was a, a wee lad the last <laughs> time they had a actually good offense. I think the times, you know, things have to change here. And I know that's kind of what they wanted with Adam Gase, uh, but I, I feel like that's going to be the focus here. So if I'm if I am Miami, I'm, I'm going to try to lock in on Brian Dable. He's familiar with the organization was the. Offensive coordinator in 2011, learned a ton since then, uh, worked under Bill Belichick and Nick Saban. Uh, but I could I can personally say just from my experience with him in Buffalo, full disclosure, of course, uh, with my experience with him in Buffalo, he is only Belichickian when the camera is on. Off the camera, he's got to be the most likable coach I have ever interacted with in, in the NFL across three franchises. I, I mean, they're a guy that truly cares a guy that is personable, he is funny, uh, he is insightful. He's not a jerk. Like he's not going, he's not your typical Belichick and saving disciple. Like I, I think it could, I think it could work, but uh that that's who I'm that's who I'm honing in on. If I am Steven Ross, I'm keeping a close eye on the Bills playoff run this postseason. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes total sense. I mean, Brian Dayball, like you said, has that background with Tua Tango Bailoa, certainly. Uh, a track record of success with the Bills. I mean, even if the offense was not maybe quite as uh, explosive as it was a year ago, I mean, still one of the best offenses in all of football and an offense that certainly, uh, you know, the the development of Josh Allen does not require me to go into detail. If you've watched the NFL over the past four years, you've seen how much Josh Allen has improved from the guy he was when he got to the Buffalo Bills organization. Um I mean, other guys out there, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the same odds you just mentioned. Uh, Doug Peterson, former Eagles head coach, Eric Bieniemy, Byron Leftwich, Nathaniel Hackett. Um, obviously, a lot of offensive-minded coaches. Um, but then again, you know, I think about the Bills. I mean, think about all the work they've done on offense. And the head coach they hired is Sean McDermott like an old school defensive coordinator from Carolina and the Eagles. Like, do you think they have to hire an offensive minded head coach because of the circumstances they put themselves in? Or do you think the fact that the bills have been able to make it worth with McDermott uh, and Dable as the OC means there is another path to this. I don't necessarily think they have to hire an offensive minded head coach, but if you do hire that defensive-minded head coach, they need to have a name in mind for their offensive coordinator who probably is experienced in revitalizing dead offenses. You know what I'm saying? Because the, the, the offense is dead right now. It needs, it, it needs a complete overhaul. You need to bring somebody in with a track record of turning that around. And I think that's also where Brian Dable kind of comes in because the first two years or the first year he was there, you know, first two, really, the Bills offense was not good. He didn't have anything to work with, but it was not good. And then as, you know, as time went on and as Brandon Bean gave him the, the 
I, I guess, the leash necessary to implement his system and really learn his players and learn his coaching staff and, and introduce his offense, that's when you saw things kind of blossom in Buffalo. That's something that, you know, patience is kind of a lost art now. And it's not something that any of Dable's other stops really afforded him. But uh, I think, you know, as the head coach, you get a little longer leash than you do as a coordinator. And uh, I, I, I think after a couple of years of P and Greer are on the same page, add a couple pieces to that offense, then I, and bring in somebody on defense then who you know can run it, who, you know, bring in a, an established name on that side of the ball, then I, I think that you're setting yourself up for, for some long-term success here. But no, it, like you said, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't really have to be an offensive-minded coach, but if it's not, then somebody needs to be brought in with experience of, you know, being that kind of shot in the heart, that adrenaline shot for for a fledgling offense. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So speaking of the offense, can I give you my idea for the 2022 Dolphins that no one else in the NFL does? <laughs> oh, I want to hear it. Co- co-head coaches. Get two head coaches. Let them don't 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 tell the media who the actual head coach is who's actually making the decisions. So it'll be more of a mystery as the season goes on. That's my my out of the box solution for the 2022 Dolphins based on how successful the 2021 Dolphins offense was. That is inc- that's incredible. That is incredible. I I, I love a uh, a a cohabitive system. <laughs> like just everybody is equally responsible. Everybody is a head coach. Yes. That's the way to do it. Draw names out of a hat for who goes to the podium every week. Nice. But it won't be Chris Greer. We have discovered. Yeah, I promise you that. So with these five other jobs that are out there, the Jaguars, the Raiders, the Broncos, the Bears, and the Vikings, I guess the Raiders, we don't know. Like, it, it wouldn't be shocking if, given that they made it to the postseason, Rich Basashi did get to keep that job. Um, he, he's currently the interim coach. Let's say Jaguars, Broncos, Bears, Vikings. Of those four jobs, Marcel, which one do you think is most appealing to the top tier head coaching candidates that are available in the NFL right now? Oh, I I think it's hands down Denver. Really? I, I think it's hands down Denver. I love what they have on defense. I think they've got pieces on offense. They basically got it right there. They're ready to compete if they had a quarterback and obviously easier. I think it's easier said than done, but I think there's enough there uh, and there's enough young talent there that, uh, that you can do something. You can do something special. Um, I'm also a little, you know, I'm, I'm a little partial to Jacksonville because I, I like Trevor Lawrence and I think you have a quarterback in place already. Uh, same more or less goes in, in Chicago. Uh, I'll be with just a little tougher of a division. Than the AFC South, uh, I mean, shoot, you can already beat the second best team in the conference as is. Yeah, you know, like I, I think the Jaguars are in a pretty good position there. Uh, then I would go, uh, you know, I, I, I would say 
I, I would I would put Chicago over Minnesota there uh, just because I think you've got the quarterback in place. Um, Minnesota is a little closer to a, a teardown than Chicago is. I think Chicago is right now in the process of building back up. Well, Minnesota, I think they officially came to terms with the fact that the team has currently constructed. It, it doesn't work. And I think that's a lot more effort. It's a lot more work. I'll be with a place and owner, but it's a lot more work than I think you would have in Chicago, especially if you're a believer in Justin Fields. Yeah, I think absolutely. You have to be someone who hopes that Justin Fields or expects Justin Fields to be a superstar to take that job in Chicago. Yeah, the Vikings are such a weird one because I think they have the most talent. Maybe maybe the Broncos have more talent, but the Vikings have a you know a, a at least a competent quarterback in Kirk Cousins and certainly talent on both sides of the football. But they're in such a weird spot because it feels like they're in the rare sort of situation where their fans like want to rebuild. Like, you know, there are teams that do trade a bunch of guys and start over and some fans are into it, some fans are not. But it feels like that fan base is just so sick of watching that team play heartbreaking games every single week that they want to move on. They want to start over. And that's not that common in the NFL to me. No, and I'm going to go cross sport a little bit here, but I, I used to have this debate with my college roommate, who is a, ironically, he's a Vikings fan, but we had this debate about his Dallas Mavericks. And uh, I'm a Sacramento Kings fan. He would constantly make fun of my team for playing, you know, not playing in any meaningful games. And so sort of as a defense mechanism, I argued that maybe I think it's just as bad to be that purgatory team, the one that's constantly either you're a first round exit or you're right on the bubble. Because at least when you're bad, you can get a high draft pick and, and convince yourself that there's hope for the future. When you're in purgatory, you know what your ceiling is and you know what your floor is. Like, you know, okay, like we're gonna make the playoffs, we're not gonna win a game, or we're, we're gonna be a game out every year. But then also your your picks are a little farther back, you know, where your your salary cap situation is a little more convoluted. Like you don't have the flexibility to really improve that much. I think that's what the Vikings are right now. They're a purgatory team. So I, I don't blame them for seeing this product for the past. Uh, I mean, how long has Kirk Cousins been there? Four years now? Mm -hmm. Four or five, for, yeah. Four or five years for seeing this product and thinking, okay, I think we have uh, – you. Got your one, your one fantasy run here, thanks to a ridiculous play by Stephon Diggs. Mm -hmm. I mean, Kurt wasn't even the guy then, but like you, you see, it was the same basic roster construction. You've seen your your ceiling here. You've seen basically what your team's going to do year in and year out. You're not going to win big games because Kurt Cousins doesn't win big games. I I would want something different too, even if it means watching some dirt for the <laughs> seasons. Like, I think somebody wants somebody's going to want to trade for Kirk Cousins. Hell, if you take over, whoever takes over the Broncos job might be able to talk LA into trading for 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 Kirk Cousins or whoever it is in, in, in charge over there. You know, I think Kirk would be, you know, for a team that thinks it's a quarterback away from contending. I think that you can bait and switch him a little bit there. You know, <laughs> I think you bait the 360 yard Kirk Cousins, bait the, you know, Saturday, Sunday 1 p.m. Kirk. And then give him Monday at 8.30, Kurt. 
the old, the old Kirk Cousins okie doke is what you're suggesting. The, <laughs> the, the Vikings are here. Yeah, like somebody's going to take him. Like you, you can you can get out of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Dalvin Cook. I I believe his contract either just kicked in or it's about to. You can make a decision what you want to do there, but he he's a star. When he's healthy, he's still excellent. He's guaranteed to miss a couple games a year, but when he's healthy, he's a one of the best playmakers in the NFL. You can either keep him and have that, or somebody's going to trade for him. Somebody will part ways with with valuable assets for him. Like you have tradable pieces in Minnesota. Like I, I just I I would hit the reset button, man. Again, like how many times do you want to bang your head against the wall before realizing you might need to go get a sledgehammer? I now I want to finish up here by asking you something because I feel like I've been racking my brain as you've been answering this question. I don't think I have ever interacted with a Sacramento Kings fan before this <laughs> moment, which I did not know you were a Sacramento Kings fan. Oh yeah, man. You know, how, why? Because uh, I grew up in Sacramento. So, oh really? Uh, yeah. I, I was, I was around when, when they were at, you know, actually good when they were the, the world's favorite team and maybe not America's, but the rest of the world loved the Sacramento Kings because half the roster were European mm-hmm. players. Peja. So, like, they, they had a, yeah. Peja, Vlade, Turkulu, and like they had a, they had a lot of guys with international appeal or appeal. And, uh, but either way, man, yeah, it's, uh, it's gotten a little dark. (laughs) Uh, I I almost got into several fights in college. I've scrolled through my like Facebook memories, man. Like I'm seeing a lot of arguments about the Kings moving to Virginia beach and, and Seattle. Uh, I I even had like a personal essay and, and open editorial to the Maloofs. (laughs) <laughs> when I thought that they were going to, uh, thought that they were going to move ten years ago, uh, rough, rough times, man. But you know, somebody's got to love them. <laughs> That's the perfect, the perfect ending to this. I, I think is just that should be the slogan for the 2022 Sacramento Kings. Someone's got to love them. <laughs> Some, someone's got to love them. Actually, no. Hey, I want to ask, ask you one more question. Yeah. And incredibly unfair, and I'm still going to ask it. Because I have faith that you're going to give the correct answer. Five years from now, do we look back at what happened with the Miami Dolphins on Monday and say, wow, they were so smart to get aggressive and make a move and they improved their organization by hiring Brian, or sorry, by firing Brian Flores and hiring somebody new? Or do you think we look back and say they made a terrible mistake by firing a guy who had two consecutive winning seasons who you know, took over for a, a tanking team and the guy they hired to replace Brian Flores just could not hold a candle to what the Dolphins had. And they were too greedy by firing this pretty successful by their standards head coach. Yeah, that is a fun question, a fun hypothetical here. Um, I think that two things can be true. I think that Flores is going to be a, a, a great head coach, but I think maybe this was a necessary move for both sides. You know, clear if, if, if it's not working, it's not working, man. And uh, I think it's an opportunity for, for Brian to learn what did and didn't work from his first time around. Uh, clearly things had soured past the point of saving here uh, in certain people's opinion. But uh, I think he's going to be an excellent coach. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think people are going to see wherever he is now, 
wherever he is five years from now, they're going to see him and say, okay, he is good now. That's not what it was in the Dolphins. That's not what he was with the Dolphins. But, uh, but at the same time, I don't think the Dolphins are necessarily going to be happy in five years either, if unless they figure out this quarterback situation. Because uh, if, if Tua doesn't take a Josh Allen-like leap in year three, it, it looks a little bleak, man. It looks kind of bleak. And, and we've seen from several rosters, and we just talked about Denver, you can't. You can only go so far with bad or mediocre quarterback play. So yeah, I, I think that uh, I, I think that Flores is more successful than the Dolphins is or the Dolphins are five years from now. I know that wasn't necessarily your question, but I'm going to try to weasel my way out of answering <laughs> your question by giving you a separate answer. I'll take it. I'll take that's good enough for me. Is what it boils down to. Marcel, please tell the people where they can check out more of the coverage you do. Yep, you know, uh, Twitter, at Marcel underscore LJ, the Miami Dolphins team page. If you don't like me or think I'm annoying, that's understandable. You can have all my work with none of the none of the opinions at, uh, at the, the ESPN Miami Dolphins team page. Uh, I'm even on Instagram, Marcel ESPN. I'm going to try to start figuring out ways how to integrate that, integrate my work into that this offseason. But, uh, and then, you know, whenever I can squeeze in, you can find me right here on the on the Bill Barnwell podcast. There we go. Marcel, thank you so much, my friend. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, thanks so much to Marcel Louis-Jacques. This awesome work. I, I know he just said he thinks he's annoying. I promise you he's not. Excellent follow on Twitter at Marcel underscore LJ. We have playoff football coming up this weekend. Hope you guys enjoy the six games of wildcard football. This week, I'll be watching, talking about it next week. Hopefully, I won't have to spend several hours Sunday night uh, trying to explain a timeout that I think is not part of a huge conspiracy. But hope you guys enjoyed that column about the crazy end to the Raiders-Chargers game. We'll be back next week. More audio on the way. So thanks so much for listening.